Product managers give 100% of themselves to their customers. But who's there for the PM? The Product Management Center at the University of Washington. It's a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. I'm Jeff Schulman, founding director of the Product Management Center and your host on this show, How to Succeed in Product Management. Each week, I'm joined by my co-host, Red, and some of the best product managers in the business. Together, we're having candid conversations that help you understand the challenges that a product manager faces, how they overcome them, and the tools and frameworks that will help you thrive in the role. So let's start the show. Welcome, everybody. My name is Jeff Schulman, and I am the founding director of the Product Management Center at the University of Washington. And we are on a, on a mission to develop a more diverse, inclusive, and skilled product management community. And part of that effort is uh, bringing everyone access to knowledge, to community, and a chance to give back and to learn from some of the best product managers and product leaders in the business. And we're here every single week on Clubhouse, and we record this and put this out as the How to Succeed in Product Management podcast, available on every major podcasting app. And we take a different topic each week. And this week, we're going to talk about supporting, managing, and learning about customers. And we're going to learn a little bit about how product managers interface with customer success and other groups within an organization to, again, deliver value to their customer and to their business. Divya, you've, this is, I believe, your second time on this podcast. I'm grateful that you're back. Can you remind everybody, tell everybody a little bit about your journey as a product leader and where you're at now? Yep. So thank you so much, Jeff, for inviting me again. As you mentioned, this is my second time on your show. So hi, everyone. My name is Divya. I'm uh, currently a product manager at Meta, and I'm working you know, to further the vision of the metaverse. So it's pretty exciting times. And prior to Meta, I was a principal product manager at Amazon Web Services. So a slightly different uh, business that was more of a B2B model versus currently I'm working on a B2C product for Meta. And prior to that, I've been in various roles, product management, business development, and engineer in various startups that I'm sure none of you would have heard of. But that's a little bit about me. All right. Thank you. And I slowed that unmute button as I promised. Divya, thank you for joining us. And uh, this is a good chance for me to just remind everybody that our guests today are speaking just for themselves and of their own personal experience. They are not here representing their companies, but it's useful to know where they've gotten their experience that they'll be uh, sharing from. Clay, this is your first time on the How to Succeed in Product Management podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you. My name is Clay Robinson. I'm the Chief Customer Experience Officer at a startup called Momenta, and we are a global trade platform. So we enable brands to sell on marketplaces around the world. My title might be a bit confusing relative to product management, but it's very appropriate for the topic today. I created this role to own solutioning, sort of the technical pre-sales success, and then product with the vision that Many startups over-rotate and over-focus towards customer acquisition or new customers. And I felt like if I could have a seat at the table for both of the new customers, and then as we bring them on board and keep them happy, that would give a, a more complete product roadmap and ideally one that, that lowers our attrition and churn of customers. My background is in uh, product management. A lot of that in the CRM space, uh, customer relationship management. I've worked at Microsoft, Salesforce, number of startups. My undergrad degree is in finance, and I have an executive MBA from the University of Washington. So particularly happy to be here supporting the UW. 
All right, go dogs. Thanks for supporting the University of Washington. Divya, you said you had experience B2B products, B2C products. And I'm curious about how the way you support, manage, and learn about customers is different for B2B products versus B2C. Yeah, so that's a good question. So one of the things to note is that when you work on a B2C product, you typically have a lot of data that you can go through and that's kind of that kind of acts like the voice of a customer. So data is how customers speak to you at scale. Um, so if it is a product like any consumer-related product like Spotify or Instagram or anything where consumers directly interact with, you typically you know, sense whether they like a particular feature or not based on the engagement metrics and things like that. You do get similar uh, results on the B2B side as well with data, but typically like when you launch a product or launch a feature, it might take time for that particular product to pick up. So you usually tend to rely on focus groups or speaking directly with the customer and getting a lot of qualitative data through those customer conversations in for B2B products. But once that product gets to that mass market or achieves that kind of scale, then we can start looking at data of like how many customers are using it and things like that. Another thing to note as well is sometimes like for B2C products, except for a certain cases, it's pretty clear like who's using it. So if it's a if it's a product for kids, for example, there might be like kids from various age groups that's using it. Whereas for a B2B product, typically you'll have to define different personas within the companies to understand like who exactly is using it within that company because you usually see multiple personas within one customer that's using your product. So that's also something important to keep note of. All right. And now Sumeya is here. She's our product executive in residence. So generous with her insights week after week after week. Sumeya, we're talking about what groups does a product manager interface with and how do they learn about what the customers need and, and how things are working and what success looks like? You've had a variety of experiences. Who have you turned to and how have you uncovered customer insights as to how well you're serving their needs? Yeah, thank you, Jeff. And hi, everyone. Apologies for the delay here. This is a great question. I think the insights we want to have into customers, we always prefer to have firsthand insight. Secondary to that is insight that designers, people who do user research or user experience tend to have. But then across the organization, if we're talking about organizations at scale or where we have really mature products with multiple product teams working on them, we get a lot of insights from the sales team, from the marketing. Well, marketing a little less than sales. Definitely sales support and customer experience also provide insights. But there are a lot of people within the organization that might have different touch with the customer. And as long as they do, we are not going to discount their message or their input or what they're hearing. Like I said, it also depends on on the scale or the size of the product or the organization. So sometimes if you are working on the early days of the product and it's in the concept phase or you are in a startup, the extent of that collaboration within the company, it's either the CEO who also tends to act like as a product person and a salesperson and wears multiple hats or within an organization early days for pre-product market fit kind of products, you might be the only person who truly is talking to the customer. So the answer to this one is also it depends on a number of factors. 
All right. And uh, we also have Red here. I'm not going to put him on the spot because I know he is multitasking at the moment, but he is here to make sure that you have a chance to have your voice be heard. And so in about uh, 15 minutes, if you have any questions for uh, Sumeya and our two guests today, Red is going to manage that and let you either ask them here on stage or uh, join us in the Product Management Center uh, Slack channel, which is open to everybody to connect and grow together. Clay, You've had uh, roles as a solutions architect, customer success across a variety of organizations. How do you see the right ways of getting what you know in the hands of product managers and kind of having a two-way street uh, so you could both be successful at what you're doing? It's something I thought a lot about. Uh, at a previous startup I was at and was head of product, I had frequent vigorous discussions with the CTO and the CEO about what we should be building and where we should be investing from our backlog and our roadmap. And the CTO would regularly say, well, you know, that's just your opinion. And this is a common problem in product management. And it was an opinion that was based on interactions with customers and looking at tickets and cases and understanding the product and the product market fit. And so uh, it led me to integrate uh, Salesforce with our Jira, which we were using for our product backlog. And so what I could do was existing customers that would raise an enhancement request or a bug or a problem, I could then tie it to their recurring revenue stream. And similarly, on the pre-sales side, I could take requests that we got from prospective customers and put that against their opportunities. And so it allowed me to have a, a more data-driven discussion with the CEO and the CTO in these meetings to be able to say, here's the product backlog purely for our prospects. Here's the product backlog purely for our existing customers and what their revenue is worth. And then here's a blend, which is what I think we should do. Uh, and it really shifted that conversation from their opinion, my opinion, you know, product versus dev versus leadership to data-driven discussion of, you know, we have this many customers with this much revenue that's potentially in jeopardy if we don't deliver this feature. And it allowed us to better prioritize around what was most impactful to our bottom line. Thank you, Clay. So Divya, my next question is for you. How do you like to get information from other people? Like, how do you, I don't know how to ask this exactly, but like, what's the best way for them to convey both their quantifiable and kind of written down and data information combined with their gut instinct from what they have from being day to day and, and seeing the day to day? How do you like to get information and how do you filter out the noise and separate kind of expertise from unfounded opinions and so on? Again, like depending on the type of information you want to get, you might have to interact with different stakeholders, right? So if I want to get data to prove some of my hypothesis or to see, uh, to back my assumptions up, I would probably have to interact with a data scientist or uh, a business analytics team. So one of the strategies I use is rather than telling them or, you know, the specific data that I want, I kind of rally them up over the problem space or like the assumption that I'm trying to make and let them drive what kind of supporting data we would need to find and things that might dispute my claim as well. So rather than being very pointedly focused on this is the data I want, I would try and make them own the area that I'm 
or uh, that specific hypothesis that I'm trying to drive. So that's one strategy that I've seen uh, based on my experience work. Other times, like when I don't have the luxury of a data scientist team, or I might have to speak directly with customers or users in a focus group, trying to be very clear on the type of questions that I'm trying to get answered. And even before having that kind of session, internally being very clear on what I'm trying to achieve by asking these questions, uh, I found to be really useful. So don't just ask like, okay, have you faced these kind of issues, but uh, be a little bit more broader on in this sort of area, what are the specific issues that you faced? And, you know, being very clear on what those goals are that you're trying to drive, I felt that greatly improves the quality of data that you're trying to find. And of course, like if you're working with internal teams within your company, whether it's a sales team or the data analytics team or, you know, the marketing or UX research team, Consider them as your partner versus, you know, just some team that you want specific data from. I felt increasing that kind of collaboration would increase your odds of getting to a successful outcome. All right. So Sumeya, same question to you. We have Clay shared an example of, you know, something he knew to be true and, and wanted improvements and then how he worked to get data to back it up. How do you, Sumeya, filter the noise and how do you work with your partners internally to get the information that will help you make the best decision for your customers and your business? Yeah, absolutely. So I usually think about these kinds of opportunities and challenges in a very lean way. As in, from day one, I start by noticing a pattern and then trying something that I don't worry about whether it's going to scale or not. So what do I mean by that? I understand that my sales partners or my uh, marketing partners or my customer support partners have all these interactions with the customer that I think are valuable and can provide insights to us as a product team. And so what is the first light thing I can do, I can start by having a conversation with the team or with the individuals who are having these opportunities. And those conversations or collaborations are all about what have you learned? Can you share that with us? Here's what we've learned. Let's share that knowledge. And if it's, you know, things that come up in terms of data, so we're talking now scale, when it's beyond conversation, we're talking about the interactions with multiple people. You know, you have a customer support center where you're getting a lot of calls about your product. When you're starting to think about scale, that's when you start thinking about, okay, what are the reports I want to see? What are the things that can be generated automatically that I can look at and glean insights from. But rarely does that get rid of the, you know, interaction between people that still needs to happen, where you can get a little more insights into the level of pain, let's say the customer's level of pain around a specific issue gives you a little more shape, a little more color. So you get you gather all this data, but then what do you actually do with it? This is where the PM and the design partner, specifically people with the customer user experience background, are extremely helpful because they get to help you understand what are the things or insights that are most meaningful for the customer and help you design experiments, light experiments that then you can use to help you determine what is the right thing to do, which one to prioritize, if you don't have enough data to make that decision on your own. Either way, we PMs, you know, using product sense, using the data we have at any one point, we can make 
certain prioritizations. But then what solution really works? That's a, a second level of you know work we can talk about in another episode. But yeah, use all the data you have and use the partners you have to help you determine what's the right thing to do. All right. Thank you. And then Clay, I want to turn to you and ask, in your experience when you were working with product managers in your role as a solutions architect and in customer success, what would you ask of a product manager who's listening that could help you do your job more effectively? Yeah. What's some advice or ask of a product manager that would unlock your potential in the role, in the roles that you had uh, that you described at the top of the show? Well, and part of the way I, you know, when I would speak to product management, I mean, it's a lot like most of business, it's trying to speak in the language of the person you're speaking to. So as an example, at, at Salesforce, after we bought Slack, there was an enhancement and an upgrade I wanted to see in Slack. So I wrote a light product requirements document that started with an overview, the business value, and then a few user stories. As X, I want to do Y so that I can Z. And by doing that, it helped me again, put it in their language so that they could hear what I had to say and, you know, understand it. And similarly, as a product manager working with success, you know, the questions are, what's the pain? You know, what's this ticket really about? You know, oftentimes in product management, our job is to find the unarticulated want and need. So when the customer says, I want to do A and I want to do D, it's our job to flush out B and C, even though they don't say it. To uh, Sumia's point on data, one of the, the tools I'm a, a big fan of is something called Pendo, and it allows us to do usability tracking and see abandonment and just see how long individuals are spending on specific pages and what they're doing. Um, and that, again, takes it back to the data of, you know, hey, we wanna deprecate this feature. Well, let's go look and see who's using it. Okay, there's X people that have used it in this time. So the success team needs to talk to those people and let them know that it's being deprecated and what the new feature is. All right, we are close to inviting audience questions. So get your audience questions ready, or should I say Red E, in honor of my co-host Red. But first, uh, Divya, I wanted to see if you had any questions for Sumeya or Clay on the topic of understanding your customers and really meeting their needs, uh, creating solutions that, that enrich their lives. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, I really enjoy the discussions and, you know, um, some of the insights provided by Clay and Sumaya. I'm actually curious to know, you know, from your, your experiences, have there been things that's gone wrong with the way companies think about collecting customer feedback or insights, things that uh, we can learn from possibly? <laughs> it's a great question, Divya, and you probably have some insights there too. I think you're always either doing too much or too little, <laughs> or starting too late or too early. It always feels like that when it comes to uh, you know gathering information. Yes, th there is the adage of, or like there is the principle that we all believe in, which is gathering customer information from the beginning is not a bad thing ever. But I have seen people actually build products that have all kinds of metrics attached to them that end up being not successful. And they could have just 
been able to tell that by building an extremely lean MVP without having to worry about all those metrics set up. So you can always err one way or the other, and it turns out that you didn't necessarily do the right thing. So if from a lessons learned perspective, I think there are a lot of stories there we, we can talk about. In general, however, I do want to talk about the people aspect of it, because I've seen in enough organization that there is this tension, for example, between sales or customer experience or customer success and product or end engineering. And that to me is the one thing that's actually the easiest to fix from a like a time cost perspective, but also the hardest to fix because mindsets are some of the hardest things to fix. Aligning people and, you know, having them get rid of some biases or build more of a collaborative culture is something that does not necessarily come with the package uh, with everyone. Some people are used to work within a certain culture and not another. So to me, that stuff, you know, where people might just rely on system provided data and they don't want to talk to another person is the stuff I watch out for because it's the most insidious and the hardest to fix if if you don't address it right away. Yep, makes sense. Like you mentioned, like, you know, you can have all the data possible, but it probably would not be providing the right story. And I've often seen that as well. Just in my experience, people write all these lengthy and like, data loaded doc and they add like all these metrics, but does not tell the right story. Um, And like Samaya, you mentioned like, you know, being able to collaborate and capture like what's the right thing and actually speaking out will really help avoid those kind of situations. Yeah, I will frequently have my product team read a book called Everyone Sells by Daniel Pink, just because I believe there's a sales component to PM where you need to be able to articulate and sell your ideas across the company. So I think that the selling thing is one thing for sure, but that is also a communication specific approach. For us PMs, yes, we are trying to inspire, we're trying to influence And there is a sense of ownership that we have, not just around the outcomes of the product, but also around the customer, around the business, around like our ownership is just higher. The bar is higher, I think, than anyone else's. The responsibility and the decision making power we have is also higher than anyone else's. And so with that, I think beyond just communicating, it's on us to care for, nurture, and have empathy for every single person on the team. And yes, understanding every person is also important for you to communicate effectively and be able to influence them or quote-unquote sell to to them. But I hesitate on just reducing the whole interaction that we have with our teams to this concept of sales. Red, I'm curious about how you think about it since you work within that framework too, the selling one. I was going to weigh in, but I was so happy that on this stage, and Jeff knows this, we finally stoked real controversy. There are two opinions, and you are on opposing sides, Sumaya. This is a rare moment. I'm actually standing in my room clapping right now. And I'm clapping because, one, for those who are newer to this show, Sumaya tends to agree with 
every person on this stage, not because uh, she is really the most agreeable and most experienced that we'd love to have her agree with everyone, but in reality, it's because we have guests that historically are talking about product management and it's just not controversial words. We're saying things that are true. But today, as you have pointed out, the idea of the sales framework, and I'm bringing it back to framework, Sumaya, because it's, it's important, at least as we refer to like Dan Pink's advice, I think you guys aren't saying different things. And I think that the, the, the red flag is if you're at an organization where you feel like you need to sell, it might be going back to the idea that it's too late. But there are people within an organization that haven't been given the voice to speak up. And specifically, I'm seeing this a lot on the engineering team, where they are historically not representing customer needs being fulfilled by saying this is what the customer wants. They're filling a backlog. They're filling out tickets. They're being ultimately led down a path where the product manager is saying, this is what we need and you're our resources to get there. And if they have an opinion that's deferring from that, it's very hard to speak up unless they have the data or the sales acumen. And at least that's my experience, Clay. So it's, it's funny you mentioned that. When I started working at Microsoft, I came as what's called an industry hire. So I knew about CRM, but I didn't know about Microsoft and I didn't know the culture. And this is when we used to ship disks. So we were trying to fit one more feature in before we got to code complete. And so they said, Clay, you and a tester and a developer, go in this room and see if you can figure out how to build this. And then if you can get it done in time for code complete. So we went in the room, we talked, we had a conversation. I explained the idea. I asked them, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, do you, do you understand this feature? Cause I was new and new there and they both said yes. And then I don't know why, but I asked, do you think we should build this? And the tester said, yeah, I get it. I see it. And the developer looked at me and said, no, I don't see how this adds any value. And he was a particularly confrontational guy. And so he and I vigorously discussed for 45 minutes the feature. And at that 45 minute mark, I could see the light bulb go off and he got the value. He understood what I was trying to do. And he gave me a much, much more elegant way to do it. And so to sort of your point, having when i talk about selling i'm not talking about coercion or manipulation which are traditionally associated with sales but i'm talking about effectively communicating and evangelizing your ideas in the appropriate context for the person and so in this case my developer he was building it and if he didn't believe in it like he was going to build something that wasn't great and so by being able to talk to him to get him excited to get him on board to have him help solution really made that engagement and that feature ultimately much better. And it taught me a lot about engaging with people. And so the Everybody Sells is one of many books that I try to have the team read. Well, I appreciate you helping out and framing it in that way, because we have a lot of listeners that are actually individuals who say, I want to get into product management. And they are coming from architecture, engineering. They're coming from a background where you're not, again, a product manager by trade, but you might be doing a lot of the similar things. And a lot of these tactics for persuasive conversations, Dan Pink talks a lot about, a lot about being able to do improvisation. And that does not come natural <laughs> to a lot of people who are at least uh, not from a coding perspective, but from a conversation perspective. It's not just, I have an idea and you must change it this way. You must be able to have a, a conversation where you can go in the same direction as a product manager and shift into a di different direction and know how to control that conversation at the same time. If that makes sense, Clay. 
It does, and I, and I think it's particularly relevant for people that come from engineering. So I am a finance undergrad and an MBA. Like my coding is copy and paste. I'm, I'm not someone who writes code. And so I, I can't do what the developers do in, in their wizardry. And so I, I find my job in product is really helping them understand the destination and the why behind what we're doing so that they can build something great. And I think for people who come out of engineering, it's helpful to take yourself up from the how and switch to the why of why are we building this feature and to the, the earlier conversation because this prospect asked for it because this competitor has it because the market's moving this way because this customer's asked for it because some crazy PM did some hand waving uh, which is a common joke around PMs is the sort of hand waving and ideas and came up with an idea that we should build so I I just believe and probably part of this is because a lot of the tools I've built in my career are around sales. And so I've spent a lot of time having to learn about sales after having never been one. Uh, yes, to your point, you know, the other book that I really strongly recommend to teams is one called The Power of Moments by the Heath Brothers. And so I'll frequently have the product team read that and have everyone try to come up with a moment that we try to do in the product and can do that for development too. It doesn't have to just be limited to product. I was going to say, you said, I heard the word shaping the conversation. <laughs> and here I am, I'm going to try to shape the conversation. It is time to welcome questions from the audience. That's one of the things that we love about being here on Clubhouse is that we're not just making, putting out the knowledge that the experts want to share and that you and I and Sumeya want to learn, but we're uh, inclusive of what you want to learn, what uh, you being the people here in the audience. So before I turn it over to Red to manage that process, I do want to give one quick plug for something we're trying to do at the Product Management Center here at the University of Washington. We see inclusion as critical to success, the standard success metrics that product managers have. You know, uh, make, delighting your customers, advancing your business objectives. If you're more inclusive, you will achieve those standard success metrics as well as create a better future and really align with what I believe to be a moral imperative. And so we want to recognize the product managers who are making a more inclusive future, either through the products that they're creating, through the access to knowledge that they are sharing, or through the community that they're cultivating. And I'm going to wink and nod because I think we've got a few people on stage who are meritorious of that, but we need you to nominate. So we're recognizing inclusive product management champions. These are product managers who are building a more inclusive future, and we're going to recognize them based off of your nominations. So if you're here on Clubhouse, if you could take just one moment, uh, maybe Red could share the link in a little bit, or all of you could Google inclusive product management champions. It's literally like three minutes of your time, but those three minutes could mean that we recognize somebody at the Inclusive Product Management Summit, and that recognition just might be what motivates them to keep going. I know that Inclusive Product Management Champion is really motivated by the future, but sometimes it could be hard work, and so we want to make sure that we recognize those Inclusive Product Management Champions who are putting in that hard work. We want to put wind in their sails uh, so that they could inspire others. And we won't know about what they're doing 
and who's resonated with you unless you take three minutes to nominate somebody. So please do that now, multitask if you can, those here on Clubhouse. And if you're listening to the podcast, head over to your web browser, Google Inclusive Product Management Champions, three minutes just to let us know who's inspired you with their work to build a more inclusive future. We're going to recognize them in front of hundreds of people at the Inclusive Product Management Summit on May 20th and May 21st. So please, please, please let us know who's inspiring you. Red, are you red E? Oh, I am so <laughs> happy to hear that joke every time, Jeff. Just get Samia, can you hear the can you hear my ultimate excitement? Jeff Humor. Red, I got to tell you one quick thing. Sorry, this is a, a non-product management distraction. I'm sorry for our guests who have to hear this banter here for a moment. But we had an inclusive product management accelerator event down in San Francisco, bringing together the aspiring product managers in this program that we have from historically marginalized communities uh, together with the volunteers. And one of the people I won't, I'll say his first name, Mark, in case he's listening, but I won't drop his last name. He was a guest on our show and he said, you know, Red and Sumeya, and you were intimidating because you were so awesome. <laughs> I, I, I paraphrase that a little bit. but <laughs> I love it. We need to be less awesome. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I Let's work on that. <laughs> he eye-rolled at me. I could be less awesome. For he, sure. he appreciated the banter that you, Sumeya, and I have. And I think he might have said he appreciated the red e-joke, but I might have... That might just be my revisionist history. But, okay. But <laughs> wait, wait. I'm going to blow people's mind away. Ready in a jiffy. <laughs> <laughs> this is why you two can't do Q&A. So with that in mind, oh. uh, Jeffy, seriously, uh, you're scratching it here. Uh, Clay, I saw you wanted to come off mute. Please tell me it wasn't going to be another pun. If you come off mute, you can have it. Uh, no, I was just going to say, I think Jeff has confirmation bias for his jokes. That was more the product <laughs> <Yes>. management side. <laughs> there, I do suffer from confirmation bias, but Mark did confirm that the banter and the jokes was so wonderful that it was almost intimidating. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, Clay. And what Clay did there, by the way, is, is a fantastic sales technique. He's using data to drive the agenda that this should not have bad jokes. That's what I heard. That's all I heard, Jeff. Not bad jokes. So um, with that in mind, this is, as Jeff had said, Q&A portion of the show. We want you to have a chance to feel like you could get what you need to become a product manager or level up your product management experience or to get your voice out there and heard about your experience that others can potentially learn from. Now with that, we already have a question in the room chat. Uh, this is from an individual. I have to say, I, it's hard to ask clarifying questions here, so we're hoping we can get some more details from the initial question. But it ultimately sounds like the struggle is there's a problem with a person who's cross-functional becoming a product manager. It sounds like it's hard. I mean, an individual who can, who can design and also manage a product is the expectation. And they're struggling at, at least putting this as the reason as part of the struggle. And then they said there's a problem of asking for impossible requirements. And Jeff and Sumeya, you've heard this on previous shows. If I'm trying to get into product management and they say, hey, I need five products that have been shipped by you in order for you to work at my company and numbers of years of experience. So here's what I'm asking. If that's true, what is causing companies to put such strict barriers up there for people who haven't been product managers in order to become them? Why are they still asking for experience five years and why are they still asking for products to have been shipped? And if you're someone who's not a product manager, how do you get in? How do you get that foot in the door? If you're an engineer, 
how do you beat out the other PMs who qualify on paper, but you might be the better person for the job? And I want to throw this out one. Uh, Jeff, I think we have two really incredible guests. Um, and I'd love to start with Clay from an engineering perspective. How would you even compete with that question? If you want to clarify, please ask away. For me, I would I would say that, you know, people who are asking you for that, you know, that that's not the role that you want or the team that you want to be on. You know, there are varying levels of product managers. And there are product managers that are new and maybe they've gone to a course or they've been a developer and they think they want to do product. And in the right company, in the right setting, they can do amazingly well. But if, you know, there are times in an organization where you need to hire someone who really knows what they're doing, who can own the backlog, who's been a scrum master, who's written product requirement documents, can do those things. And so I think it's unfortunate if companies are only looking for that because, you know, there's no diversity inclusion on the, the product team, even across experience, regardless of anything else. So some companies, I think, do that because it's easy. I think they cop paste the job description. That's not how we hire at Mementa. We really hire across the board. And it, it just looks at, you know, what's a, a commiserate salary for someone with less experience? What are appropriate tasks for that person? Are they going to need more coaching, mentoring, educational stipends so that they can take additional coursework? Like it's, to me, it's, it's definitely a palette. When I was at Salesforce, we had the ability to hire just product managers and then we could make them senior or product. I mean, it may have changed now, but it, you pick kind of the person and then fit the, the level to the person. So Red, I'm not sure if that helped or Jeff. That definitely shows flexibility, which is what I was looking for. We want to create hope that if you're applying in an organization and they're that static, there have to be ways where you can beat that or not apply to that organization. And Divya, not to say you're representing your own organization, but if you are representing ultimately someone who wants to be included in product management, how do they get that foot in the door if they don't have that experience? Yeah, that's a good question. And I, I always felt like getting that first role is, I mean, that's going to be a bit difficult compared to if you have that experience being a product manager. Uh, but I guess like some strategies that I've seen work is trying to do internship sort of roles in product management or, uh, you know, uh, trying to pick up the relevant skills uh, which are transferable um, so that you know as a product manager your communication has to be really good and clear you should be uh, having that kind of uh, sense to understand user requirements and convert that into uh, product features the ability to prioritize features in the right way uh, the ability to you know identify the vision for the product and things like that so even if your role is not product manager you could carve out a space in your current role or uh, try and help other teams like the product management team or product marketing team and try and pick up some of those skills. So I've seen that work pretty well for people. Other strategies that work also are like not being hell-bent on one specific company or maybe one specific industry, but product management roles are um, are there in every industry, not just in tech, but uh, being a little bit more open and trying to break into product management in maybe uh, another industry and then move to the industry that you want like that um, something else which uh, folks could do but i would say it's it's difficult but it's definitely not impossible um, i've seen it work for um, so many people uh, people just have to be consistent they need to know like what skills they need to develop and they need to have a plan which they have to stick to yeah, I was I was going to say, I, I spoke with a woman named Phyllis, who's a, a product manager at Redfin, and she actually wrote a book on her 
transition to a product management role with no specific experience. And she just had some, some great life experiences. And I mean, my first product management job was at a startup where I was a solution engineer and the product was broken. And I told the CEO I needed to quit because the product was broken. And he said, do you think you can fix it? I said, well, I don't know. And he said, do you think you know what the people want? And I said, well, yeah. He said, great, you know, go, our development team was in Malaysia, go to Malaysia, spend time with the team and fix it. And he's like, you're our first product manager. So product management opportunities will come in different forms. You know, maybe you pick a feature in the backlog and ask if you can write the requirements doc or, you know, intern with a nonprofit group and try to product manage one of their features. Like there's lots of ways to try to do that. Well, I can tell you both, thank you for representing what I believe the question was about. I'm looking in the chat and for those who are listening in. So thank you, Clay and Divya, for that. Also, just as a quick plug, Jeff mentioned earlier the survey to help with inclusive product management. We have posted that in the chat here right now for this moment at the top of the page. If you want to click on it, that will take you right there. Otherwise, if you're listening to this podcast, just ping us, find me on LinkedIn, throw a stone my way, a carrier pigeon. I will absolutely return it with a Google form that you can complete and fill out or whatever it is on that it, that it links to. Sorry, Jeff, I can't assume what technology that supports the survey. That being said, we do have another question coming in from our messaging and chat. This one's coming from Moses. What's your advice to new product managers who struggle to speak up in meetings or don't feel empowered to speak up? So again, we're looking for advice about how do we learn how to speak up or course correct an organization where you might not be empowered to? And to me, I see you came off mute. Want to dive on in? Absolutely. I, I want to answer this question from two perspectives. So for people who don't feel comfortable, and I also want to talk about uh, to people who feel comfortable about how they can help others. But for people who don't feel comfortable, there are two things usually at play. One is the voice in your head or the, the doubt or the skill, whatever you want to call that. One is you and then the other one is the environment around you. There's psychological safety in your environment, is the way people communicate in line with your preferences and your competencies, is the culture one that uh, listens or does it, you know, just or not. So there are certain questions to answer here. And I think everyone who does not feel comfortable speaking up, the first thing they need to do is to understand where is the source of that discomfort. A lot of times it's a combination of the two things. And so what I recommend you do is once you've done some of that analysis, I recommend that if there is someone in the organization or in your group that one, you admire, and two, you notice they, they, that they do a good job of speaking up, I recommend that you actually talk to them. The reason I say that is because the understanding of the environment you're in, so the culture, those external factors, and I know every culture is different, every team is different, they just, the, the dynamics can be different. And the second thing is, you can build that mentoring relationship or helpful relationship where they can give you some advice that you yourself can address. That's that's one. Two, typically on the part where it's, you know, the voice in your head or your skill or the thing you can work on, the thing you have complete agency over, do not 
let your job be the only opportunity for speaking up that you experiment with. Find other opportunities that feel maybe safer to you, you know, lower risk, such as, let's say, product communities where you can participate in different groups that, uh, let's say, organize uh, uh, the, um, the events or the local meetups or find opportunities where you can do more of that speaking up and within different kinds of dynamics. Forget about product management groups. Uh, you know, if you like climbing, join a climbing group and just try to do a little more of that communication in a very thoughtful manner because it's all about influencing people. It's about bringing your ideas on. Join your HOA. That's another place where, you know, there is contentious uh, contentions usually and where people need to influence others. So think about that as, a, as another thing. And then last but not least, I think a lot of times keep the this kind of information to ourselves and not speak up out of not lack of skills and, and not out of doubt. It's just because we have not tried it. And so just like any other muscle, if there are smaller ways within your organization that you can try this speaking up thing, try it. Like think about what is the worst thing that could possibly happen and just keep ex experimenting. I, I keep calling it a muscle because truly it is until you get to a point where like, why was I feeling like that before? And having said all of that, your environment, your culture also matters here. So it's not all about just you, which is why I was second, saying the second group of people I want to speak to is the rest of us who have a voice in the room. We need to pay attention to people who are not speaking up and ensuring that they get to have a voice in the room. Awesome. Thank you, Samay. And Clay, I saw you come off mute. And uh, Divi, I want to get to you as well in this one. But Clay... Uh, so I'll just be brief. There, there's also a group in, called Toastmasters that works with people and, and coaches them on public speaking. And speaking to a group of developers, et cetera, is, is very similar to public speaking. And so that can be a great way to, to practice and get coaching and frameworks that can be uh, supportive in your PM career and otherwise. Fantastic. So we have HOAs, we have Toastmasters. Divya, I'm curious to hear what your secret hack is to solving this need. Yeah. Uh, so um, again, like one thing to note is, you know, if you're if you're quiet during meetings, just be having that internal introspection about like why you're quiet, because some people are quiet maybe because of the imposter syndrome, but some people could be like um, not contributing because maybe they are not well prepared to talk about uh, that particular subject or um, they don't feel like they have all the information necessary to contribute. Uh, so depending on which camp you are, there might be a different set of things to do. Like so for the imposter syndrome, like, you know, I think Sumeya and Clay covered like a fantastic set of things you can do. Like I try to, you know, like at least for me when uh, at the start of my career, I can empathize with uh, with this because I, I was in the same boat. It was a mix of imposter syndrome plus uh, a culture clash because I was, I, I'm not an American and I haven't been in the US for super long. So, you know, how will people perceive uh, the points that I'm trying to make? So I try to take intentional goals. Uh, like, you know, I, I would definitely speak up in this specific meeting, which are attended by so-and-so stakeholders, uh, even if it's something small, like I'll make sure that I'll, 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 contribute something so having those kind of intentional goals really help 
get over my fear of like speaking in such a broad group and eventually i realized that most of the questions that i was asking were also in the minds of uh, so many other people so it really helped everyone collectively and not just me so that kind of uh, helped me get over that fear as well then you have the second category where you feel like uh, you know as a pm you constantly keep attending a lot of meetings and sometimes you lose context or uh, you're not super familiar with a particular subject so what i try and do is like carve out uh, a particular time in the day where i look at my calendar and see like these are the type of meetings that's coming in and try to think think a little deeply about each of those subjects and be a little bit more prepared on internally i myself try and have this back- battle in my mind where i go back and forth between asking multiple wise like and trying to get to uh, okay these are the open questions that i i would probably have here and then arming myself with that also gives me a little bit of a, a headway like getting into that meeting because i already know that you know i've thought about this and these are some of the questions that i will have but at the same time i would also point out that there's a caveat to this you try not to speak something just for the sake of speaking because that can also go the wrong way like i've seen multiple people where they're talking and they're not really contributing to the discussion much or they're not driving it to some place or Uh, you know they're not asking a, a clarifying question but they're just speaking for the sake of it so that when you do that it's pretty obvious so don't do that as well so i would really encourage you to think a little bit about the subject before uh, you step into that meeting so questions that you ask would drive the conversation forward uh, but yeah that, that's my two cents Well, thank you. And I know Sumeya has to drop and uh, you, you are all incredible at helping with these questions. Apologies in advance, Jasper, we couldn't get to yours today. Please come back next week, Tuesday, 4 p.m. as we are always here to support you. Now we're going to drop it off to Jeff for concluding thoughts. And Sumeya, if you do have to drop because I know you have to go, uh, please, we will reconvene and I'll be ready in a Jeffy next week. <laughs> Yes. I, I just very quickly wanted to wish my friends I see here who are uh, who are fasting for Ramadan a happy Ramadan and a blessed one. We're halfway through the month, so <laughs> it's been great. Jeff, thank you so much, and sorry again I was late. Sumeya, thank you for making time during a very important holiday. Uh, appreciate uh, your generous spirit of uh, continuing to give your insights when life also calls upon you. So thank you for being here. Divya, I want to give you a chance for concluding thoughts. Anything you want to leave the listener with as we discussed really maintaining customers, learning from them and, and supporting them and, and delivering value to them? Yeah, just want to emphasize a point that you know, as product managers, I think it's really important to have a pulse of what the customers feeling um, and what their likes and dislikes are. So being in really close touch with your customers is absolutely essential because to your engineering team or you know to the company itself, you sometimes are the face of uh, or the voice of the customer. So I like to say this: this is a publicly available information. But in Amazon, like uh, you know, even when Jeff Bezos has his yearly planning meeting they usually keep a chair uh, which is empty and that's kind of representative of the customer voice so whatever uh, they do is always working backwards from the customer and that's something that i picked up from my time at amazon and i would encourage any product manager to follow the same i think that adds to the power you would have as a product manager because um, a lot of times you will be in meetings or discussions with the engineering teams or your xfns where people are debating about different ways of doing things or different directions uh, in which you can take the product and having that kind of insights from the customer really really strengthens your case um and you know i, I like i see that that's something that sets great product managers apart from like uh, just 
good or normal product managers is is the fact that they're really armed with uh, all the customer data and different data from different customer personas as well. All right. Thank you, Divya. Appreciate you joining us today. Uh, second time, I believe, here on How to Succeed in Product yeah. Management and uh, appreciate <laughs> yep, new insights so each time. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Thank you so much, Jeff. And I uh, really appreciate you doing this for uh, the product management community. Oh, it's our pleasure and Red's idea. So I have to give all credit to Red for inspiring this. Clay, any concluding thoughts that you want to leave the audience with? No, it's been a pleasure to be here and uh, hopefully I was able to help. If people have questions, I'm happy to answer them in Slack or on the, or people can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn. So thanks for having me, Jeff and Red. All right, Clegg, uh, glad to have you here. Uh, this was a fascinating conversation. Red, you almost got a little controversy. I, I kind of feel like you manufactured it a little bit, but <laughs> I love the effort. What's your concluding thoughts? Oh, that's so sad. I just had like this beautiful monologue and I was muted the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I told you I would do it at the start of this conversation, and here I did it. But Red, uh, uh, you manufacture. Well, Jeff, Jeff, here's the deal. It's a podcast. We could just edit out the entire long pause everyone had to experience in the audience today. What was that monologue? What did you say? I'm super curious <laughs> I now. I had like inflection in my voice. Like it could, Just imagine whatever would be both entertaining, educational, and just perfect. That's what happened. Um, <laughs> we will leave that pause in there because that's true to who we are. <laughs> but Red, you manufactured a little controversy here today. Uh, mm. You chimed in. And you've just you've been a founding advisory board member of the Product Management Center. You started it from the ground up. It was just me, you, and a dozen or so, maybe two dozen product managers who said, we're going to create this. So I want to give you a chance to conclude your thoughts or have concluding thoughts today. No, it's okay, Jeff. Well, I, I'm, you know, I have to say to Clay and Zivia, it's, uh, it's been incredible to have amazing guests every single week after week. And Jeff, you get so many opportunities to give us credit, but you should take credit because without you, all these amazing guests on a week-to-week basis, and Sumeya, just what a what a dream to share the stage with such thought leaders. And the dream is, as you put it, giving this information out to the community. There's a reason we have a podcast, because not everyone could make it tonight. We wanted to be more inclusive. We wanted to have Q&A so that people can actually have an interaction and find their voice and talk to these people and learn from them and grow. So my only hope is that this continues to help support the community, and that if anyone has feedback about how we can ultimately make this even better and stronger for them, fill out that survey. Help us find our PM champions. Help us find those people that can continue to give back to the community. And hey, you can nominate yourself. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Although I can't nominate me because I'm not a PM, Jeff. So I, I, don't, I don't make the cut. <laughs> you don't make you the know? cut. No, make the no cut. champion for you. <laughs> no, uh, Red, you are a real inclusive product management champion to me. I appreciate all that you've done here uh, with this. It's good to be back after a week off. To everybody else, we're here every single week here on Clubhouse, Tuesdays at 4 p.m. Pacific time. We put this out as the How to Succeed in Product Management podcast available in every major podcasting app. There's about 45 episodes that you can go back and listen to if you missed anything. And I, my one ask for you is... Please, please, please take a moment. Let's celebrate the product managers who are building a more inclusive future, which again, I truly believe in the data supports this, that in building a more inclusive future, you're building a better future for your customers and a better future for your business, which is what a product manager is supposed to do. So please, please, please take a moment to uh, fill out that nomination. Let us know who's inspired you so that on our summit, the Inclusive Product Management Summit on May 20th and May 21st, when we have hundreds of people gathering to learn from academic experts and uh, industry leaders, that we could take that moment uh, to let those people know that, that their work 
was noticed. And so a few minutes of your time could mean a more inclusive future for everybody. With that said, I will see you next week here on Clubhouse or whenever you download How to Succeed in Product Management.